What's good, internet? And welcome to the third episode of the podcast of us. The Last of Us After Show from the Front Row Network at NPR, Illinois. It's not just TV, it's HBO. This is some prestige television. Alex Aroni here from Super GG Radio, uh, the NPR of Illinois video game podcast. And since The Last of Us was originally a podcast, we are part of the talk. We're part of the conversation. We're part of the zeitgeist here. We're trying to bring our insight into the NPR world as well as our NPR friends. On top of that with me today, actually, it's a full Super GG Radio cast today as we've had a lot of busy schedules and a lot to juggle with. My my laces to my shoes, Joel DeWitt. Hey, Joel, what's going on? You know, HBO really was sort of the marker about like whose family was cool or had money growing up. Uh, it was like, oh, well, Bill, Billy down the street has HBO with all like the, the cool, violent adult movies and... Uh, you know, very, very uh, forbidden fruit type stuff going on. Was it me or was that kid also the spoiled kid? Because I definitely knew that kid is kind of the jerk whose parents just let him do whatever he wanted. Oh, yeah. Like that. That's the sort of uh, double-edged sword you take on if you try to be friends with the uh, the Timmies of the world or whatever I, I named him before. <laughs> I think mine was named Chris. Mine was named Chris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody hates mm-hmm. Chris. Also, my big brother, uh, the podcast and Super GG Radio's uh, one of our very many contributors. Uh, we have Philip Barona. Hey, Phil, what's going on? Hey, hey, happy. Oh, I was about to say Thursday because we usually record Super GG Radio on Thursdays, but it is Wednesday. It is a when. It, it's not, it's not even a Wednesday. It <laughs> is a Tuesday. It was, oh, it's Tuesday. It's right. Wow. I wish it was a Wednesday. <laughs> what a week, Lemon. It's only Tuesday. That's 30 Rock for you. <laughs> now, uh, but we are here, you know, I'm, I'm always on these tangents. Uh, I'm still here thinking about uh, the HBO, you know, the, the what was this show? The, I Love You Man. There was a, the movie I Love You Man. There's actually one bit where he's like, we're going to go home. We're gonna, set, uh, Sunday nights are when we watch HBO. And he goes, man, that's lame. He goes, have you seen HBO's on Sundays? It's phenomenal. <laughs> All right, so but we're here to talk about The Last of Us, and we are on episode three of The Last of Us. Now, this is actually our biggest departure from the game, uh, and we're seeing a lot of heart, a lot of real deep swings, like big swings at emotion here, and so we're going to talk about that one. We kind of start, we're skipping the the pre credit scene that we've seen two episodes in a row. No pre credit uh, scene. We just go straight into... Uh, kind of back to the pandemic or like the epidemic when the plague first hit. Now, uh, Joel, did that throw you for a loop? Seeing that we were just like jumping in and now we're in a, like the 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 plague days again. Yeah, I mean, we were preconditioned to have it be that sort of preamble to the main thrust of the story. Although you might argue in this case, Joel and Ellie's portion acted out that piece of the puzzle, right? Because they they do start with them because they have that part where they're coming across the the field where the plane accident happened and they're asking questions about like who like what happened to them were they eat you know bitten and joel said no and then that's what transitioned them into the uh before time sequence right 
Yeah, you know, it actually okay. it does the reverse job where instead of a uh, instead of a flashback starting the episode, we get the normal time span, but then go right into the past in a, a past story to kind of flesh out what Joel and Ellie are kind of talking about. It's really pretty brief in the beginning with Joel and Ellie, kind of why a little bit why I skipped over it, but. It is interesting to hear a like a, a verbal retelling of somebody, and especially as like an as a a no man, you know, just like an everyday man, just being like, you know, it kind of happened real fast, you know. Uh, Phil, what did you think about this intro? It was an interesting juxtaposition because you know we're used to we well, we're used to yeah seeing the flashback of what happens first, which basically is the prelude for the episode, and then the whole episode plays out like we would expect. But uh, in this one, it's just uh, Joel and Ellie, and then you know it's kind of the setup for what happened before. So you see all the, the you see the mass uh, grave of the people that were executed that weren't even sick, and you know Ellie's like, oh, you know, I whatever I've seen it before, and then it just you could tell she wasn't ready to see that. I don't think yeah, and, and they kind of go into like not everybody was sick. Sometimes they just didn't have enough mouth to feed. Like they didn't have enough food to feed all the people that needed food. And at a certain point, a dead person is better than any other possibility of being a zombie. So they definitely kind of went dark there. And they even kind of go in again. The the oh, I, you know, I think it was like some bread. I think you know it was in grain, and then it kind of just turned into a whole lot of like it went ran ran rampant with the fungus, and it was you know everything kind of started on a Friday, and by the end of Sunday, everything was done. So yeah, they it does keep like a- on that. They touched on that in uh, the second episode when the outbreak happened, and he said it, it started at the one of the granaries that was yes on uh, the outskirts of the city. But now we actually get like the full like one guy who's like only heard it through bits and pieces, being like, "Oh yeah, I, I think, I think that's what happened." Like it, it's been so long at this point that everyone it, it's kind of just again, it's playing telephone at this point. He's he's relaying. Uh, the information secondhand to a third party. We're going down the line. And he's like, I, I think it was this. It was pretty wild. I don't know. And that's kind of like an interesting idea of how stories get told, legends pass on, and you know, you know, we don't even we we lose our origins at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Now, um, from there, we kind of move into. Uh, the story of Bill. He is definitely more of the paranoia doomsday types. He's got a, sh- a bomb shelter with cameras set up. He definitely you know, has like 17 locks on the door, lives in his uh, parents' house. And we see the plague hitting. We see them going house to house trying to get evacuate people. And you see him on the camera saying, nope, they're not, not me. I'm, mm-hmm. they, they, they think they, no one's home. But he's definitely sitting there staring at a, a panel of uh, monitors and televisions. And it is interesting to think that, you know, there's always like that joke people have like, oh, would you survive a zombie apocalypse? But here we have this parano- kind of paranoid, really kind of uh, shut in who is just afraid of everything. And he's just the he's once once everything happens and goes down, he's just the happiest man in the world. He's like, I know exactly how to survive an, ap- an apocalypse and I've, I'm doing it now. And he thrives in that environment. Joel, what did you think about this whole the piece with the, the plague hitting and then kind of going away? And then you get uh, amazingly played by Nick Offerman, uh, a bill just happy as a clam. I, I think uh, if this were a different show, they would show him coming out to uh, the Beatles, Here Comes the Sun, 
<laughs> that, oh, yeah. that is the level of joy he had in understanding that because he got total validation right this was the ha i was right moment and now i get to enjoy the fruits of my labor and you all get sent into camps uh so it was a fascinating chain of events uh the way that sort of horrific round them up thing tantalized into him having ownership of this entire space and they show some of the work that he puts into setting it all up after after he sets the fences up and and traps and all sorts of stuff to fortify his new living space and so it is neat the detail they showed of all that processes and there's also all this little good detail about uh you know hauling shit back and forth to trips to home depot supplies right? yep yep that was that was a really fun moment <laughs> I mean, I can, I can imagine, like, as a homeowner, I'm definitely that guy that, like, okay, I'll go to Home Depot, like, three times in one single weekend for a project. So it's kind of like one of those things, you know, that that's just fun idea just to, like, go down the aisle and just start loading up a cart. Let's go. That's the adult equivalent of uh, the old Toys R Us shopping spree contest. Supermarket sweep. Yep. Yep. It's it's the adult version of that. <laughs> you get the nail guns. You always get the, you get the most value with the nail guns. Phil, if you were in a supermarket sweep at Home Depot, what would you get? Uh, I'd be loading up on uh, lumber, uh, metal, you know. Uh, especially in this them. market. Oh, I mean, so yeah, especially in this market. But, you know, the <laughs> basics, things that you need to fortify, things that you need to, you know, do repairs and, uh, you know, set yourself up so that you're prote- well protected. So, I mean, and he, he had the right idea. You know, I mean, again, he was a, a, a paranoid survivalist who, you know, knew that day was coming, and, you know, it's very reminiscent of, um, you ever see the movie Tremors? Yes. Uh, with, uh, yeah. So, uh, the, uh, I forget the character's name, but um, it was the, the survivalist and his wife. When uh, I think his name the, might have been Bill. No, no, it wasn't Bill. Okay. Uh, it was, right. The grabway busts into their... Uh, into their bunker and they just have a wall full of weapons and they just unload on this creature and it was like the funniest part ever because they just had every single weapon you could think of and it was kind of like uh bill's little bunker because he had rifles shotguns handguns and then you know he had um you know all the basic materials for for building and you know he and he had he had the lay of the land he knew what he needed and you know he kept the the natural gas going so that he could have heat and that he could cook his food and you know he knew uh you know when they were when they shut off power he'd just go right back on in there and turn it back on and you know it's just uh he was well prepared for all this and he knew that when it went down how it went down what exactly he was going to do and you know this is this is you know every <laughs> it's every survivalist sweat dream really absolutely and you can you get like, like throughout the episode you do get the extent of his survivalist journey uh, to a certain extent, you see a lot of his traps, the way things are set up, his electrified fence. You get some good ones. You get like a, a flamethrowers at the fence. At one point, he sets us. He just starts. He somehow gets cars and he lifts them and stacks them into a wall. I don't know how he did that, but that is. If there's a Home Depot, I guarantee you, there's some sort of forklift around there. Yeah, but I feel like a forklift what's, that. Could what's listen, the weight capacity of a forklift? Yeah, I wonder if it's a carb, and and again, to be able to navigate that, 
as well as he did. It looked like it looked like it was bricks, bricks that he had laid out in a very specific pattern to build this wall. It was he, it was a lot of work, and of course you also see him raiding uh, uh, the the liquor store for like wine and and you know making is a, a very what I assume is a very elaborate bar, and you know just like all of this stuff and he's prepared and you see him settle into a life that's very. I, I, I it's it, it seems like as someone who has a lot of hobbies, this would kind of be nice to have that downtime to just kind of sit and read your books and you know eat eat you know you know experiment with cooking, trying you know different wines and stuff like that. And you see him enjoying these really fancy meals in these situations, and you also see him with his wall of cameras watching as zombies and passerbyers get caught in his traps. <laughs> And uh, gets a real says, kick out of it. <laughs> yeah, and as he says, it never gets old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect. Number one, he, he's already detached from humanity enough where he probably could be, you know, one step toward uh, hundred games. But like the the fact that he takes it as a game, I, I feel it really traps with this character well. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And I don't even think he finds it as a game so much as like this is what his life was meant to be. But at the same time, you could also see a little bit of like a uh, a lack of purpose there. You see him kind of, and it, you know, once you've fortified enough, the days kind of become the days, right? The days kind what, of become the same thing. What do right? you do? What do you do with eternity? It's it, it that, there's that old Twilight Zone episode where a guy gets all the time in the world to read books and then his glasses break. It's like, that's not fair. There was time now. There was time. <laughs> yep. But, you know, in, in the, you know, we don't know how long has passed, but it, it obviously seems like months and months and months, maybe even a year or two. And then we get to uh, entering uh, Frank, uh, uh, fantastically played uh, by Murray Bartlett, which... I had not realized Murray Bartlett was a thing. Like, and I don't mean like in a thing, like a thing thing, but I mean that that man has been in a lot of places recently, and I did not realize it was the same character or <laughs> the same actor. He was in Welcome to Chippendales, which is a phenomenal like docu series, and uh, he was in White Lotus, and I did not realize they were it was the same actor. And then seeing him in this, I didn't realize it was the same actor for all three of those roles, and. I was pretty surprised that he has a very wide range from like kooky to deadly kind of like serious to very, you know, boisterous, you know, full of bravado. And each one of those is a pretty wide range. So I, I really like him in this role as Frank. Uh, he falls into one of Bill's pits and Bill, go, uh, Bill goes to go scope it out. And Frank kind of convinces him that... Uh, he should uh, that he should be let go or at least helped out. He hasn't eaten in two days. Uh, Phil, what did you think about this introduction to Frank? I mean, first of all, it was it was pretty it was pretty apt. How are you going to meet somebody when you are basically locked up in you know your own little uh, bunker? You know your little town that's basically walled off from the rest of the world. The only way you're going to run into somebody is they come into your you know they come right up to your door or they fall into one of your traps. So, you know, um, seeing Frank uh, being in a very vulnerable spot and Bill, who now is, you know, facing eternity alone, uh, you know, you know, helps him out, uh, invites him back for some food. And, you know, now he has somebody to spend eternity with. 
you know, and that's probably not the first thing he was thinking when he met him in the pit, but that's pretty much how it ended up being. It really, it really kind of does. Ran, it, it's a slow build, but it does build into something that is like a, a something really special. It starts, you know, there. He's in this place. He's he's pretty much got Frank at gunpoint because you know you don't trust an outsider. He's gonna he's gonna give him some food and kind of send him on his way. But you know, now that he's got this whole life set up and he's got he's got no guests. It's just him. He kind of feels like, oh, I have an opportunity to kind of share all the specialties I have. You see him make this really elaborate uh, rabbit, you know, dinner, and it's uh, with this very fine wine that he actually knows how, which kind of wine pairs well with rabbit, and he kind of has it presented nicely. He, you know, kind of turns the plate in the perfect way, just like a five-star restaurant. Uh, Joel, you got to admit that that uh, meal looked delicious. I, uh, I would eat that plate of food. Yeah. Sure. Uh, one thing I love about the uh, scene with him being in the in the hole or bunker is that, like he, Frank is a man of persuasion. <laughs> if you watch that whole sequence, he persuades him to help him out, and then uh, Nick Offerman's Bill basically said, "Like I'll let you out, and you get to go." But he somehow finagled his way into a meal <laughs> as well. So, like, good, good survivor skills to Frank. Well done to, on that respect. Maximum uh, charisma e- stat. Yeah, right. Uh, but also, yeah, I mean, they, they show Bill as a survivalist with this strange juxtaposition of him being very... Per- well, I guess maybe the particularity isn't so surprising, but he, he keeps a very uh clean looking home at, at least in terms of like presentation wise but that's actually the thing if you look a little closer that house is is covered in dust he's really not like it's not destroyed by any means it's actually like you know it's remained relatively the same over the years but it isn't until we see few like down the road with frank that we actually see the place start to become more lively and a little bit less claustrophobic. But let's 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 go back to uh, their first meeting, where you see actually you do see some uh, some hesitation from Bill in a lot of their interactions, just because he's uncomfortable. He's been solo for quite some time, and that's how he preferred it for the most part. But now we're seeing him having to interact with another person, and there is a little bit of un- like he lets him shower and brings him clothes, but he's not sure like where do I put the clothes? Do I just yell at him through the door? What do I do? And then on top of that, you then see, like, uh, Frank starts to play a, a, a song on the piano, and he kind of feels uncomfortable. He's like, please don't touch my piano. Like, I don't know. I feel uncomfortable with this. This is my space. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see them kind of, like, explore him allowing somebody else in. Because when you're alone for that long, it's hard to allow other people in. I, I, I would go even one step further and say you lose a lot of social cues and sort of basic interactions with other people, how you approach and manage other relationships. I, I mean, he was already sort of a shut-in recluse uh, doomsday prepper, but then you attach, let's say, a year or two removed of speaking to basically anyone. You probably treat most people like an intruder if they're within a mile of you. So uh, one, him hurriedly having a guest over when he would be hesitant to doing so. And then two, you know, having this person become very familiar <laughs> with him very quick. Uh, it's probably jarring to say the least. Frank does take the time to like 
kind of push a lot of that, like, hey, I'm cool with you now, and 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 Bill kind of keeps him at arm's length. Uh, so that's kind of a that's that is very interesting. You know, there is there is that dynamic in couples where there is the one couple that is the the one person that's very quiet, another person that's very loud and kind of bubbly and kind of pushes themselves in and kind of makes you come along for the ride. And that's where it feels like Frank is coming from here. Um, and once the piano starts to play, you see uh, Bill kind of feels uncomfortable with how he's playing. Uh, it's a, it's an actually a really great Linda Rodstad song, Long, Long Time, where Frank is kind of playing it a little bit upbeat, and Bill goes, no, no, this is actually a really like kind of a slower, sad song, and then takes over and starts playing it kind of his way, and it becomes like a really pivotal emotional moment for both of them where they kind of meet in this this really romantic gaze and then they end up kissing and it's and you see uh you see bill very uncomfortable not by kissing but the fact that again it's still that i keep everybody away i've always kept everybody away even before there was a plague i kept everybody away and now i don't know how to let somebody in and it's 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 fascinating it's it's full of like that really kind of romantic tension will they won't they like that like oh you just you know that bill can just just like let the walls down and he he does at this moment after playing this beautiful song on the piano uh phil did you feel the tension here in this in this moment you could definitely see how uncomfortable bill was with this i mean forget that you know it's you know maybe he was gay before the whole thing maybe he wasn't but it's just human interaction and having to, like like Joel said, having that basic human ra- interaction after being alone for so long, uh, it's definitely becomes uh, something that's out of the norm. So, you know, he's really out of his um, comfortable space or, you know, maybe even, you know, out of his depth when it comes to dealing with interpersonal relationships. So um, <clears throat> I think, though, he was definitely glad to have somebody there. Uh, you know, to be there and share that space with him now, because like I said before, what do you do with eternity? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they take it to that next step where they, they're in the bedroom and you actually see it's not to say like, it's not to say that Frank, you know, is obviously we talked about that Frank is a is really kind of like charismatic but you also see, like, you know, they're in the bedroom and they're kind of getting ready to make love. And then he goes, I just want you to know, I don't do this with everybody, so I'm going to stay a couple days. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, that's, you know, but that would also make sense. Like, like, Bill now is in this moment where he is letting down the walls and it feels really nice to, like, have somebody that wants to stay. Because, you know, once you once you let the walls down, you are nothing but vulnerable. You are an, expo- an exposed nerve. And with this he is happy that with this, like, you know, with him a lot, pulling his walls down, that that person accepts him and wants to be with him and stay longer. It's a nice, it's a, it's a really nice moment here. And it also ushers Bill into, as somebody who, again, wasn't a people person, uh, into this romance and, and into this, uh, you know, just something he is not experienced with. It was, it was really nice. It was also very, it was, it was very nice, but it was also just this, I want to say it was fr- it was fragile. It was a very fragile moment here, and I and I, I could and I could always and I felt that in Bill's face. I felt like that that um, that very nervous like, do you actually want to stay here? Moment, and I that's what I really appreciated about this scene as it goes on. So, uh, Phil, did you 
Uh, did you like how we kind of then jump kind of forward to them living their couple lives? What did you What did you think about their their couple's relationship from there? Uh, it seemed uh, pretty functional and normal. <laughs> you know, when we we cut to them a couple of years later, and they're having an argument about uh, was it about using fuel to cut the lawn and using materials to paint and you know make the place livable. You know, he wants to eventually have guests and have people over, and Bill's not having it because he doesn't trust anybody, and rightfully so, because, um, you know, what, is, what else is out there other than people who want your stuff or zombies? So um, he's not really trying to have anybody else up in their space. And, of course, Frank's like, well, you know, there are people out there. I've been talking to them. I think we should meet them. Like, they're the neighbors. You know what I mean? And... Bill's just like, what are you doing? <clears throat> but it's very, I mean, it's, very it's dangerous. Much... It, in my head, I was like, this is very dangerous. Don't talk to people. You know? <laughs> yeah. I was on Bill's side here. I was like, don't talk to people. Anybody. Period. No. You know, you shouldn't be talking to me, man. You know what I mean? But in this case, it does. It does give also couples fight. Couples fight. And this felt like a natural fight where it's it's. It's that 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 roommate syndrome. When you first move in with your significant other, there are things like, you know, you have a, you have a partner and you're like, this is how I do things. And the other person goes, I do things different. And they exactly clash. And you have to find and make room for each other's lives. And that's how this works. And in this situation, Bill was happy not doing anything and being in the, the quiet and the silent and the unchanging world. And Frank wants to live life. He actively says, I want to live a life, not be alive. Be alive doesn't mean anything unless I'm living my life. So there, the, the demands come in of like, I want to I start building up. I want to paint up one of the shops. I want to have a garden. I want to make everything look nice outside. And for Bill, Bill's like, well, we're just going to be inside. Why would we go outside? And it, it's a, it is a, I think in these situations, The Last of Us itself has always kept, as far as the game and even from so far from the show, it has really done a hard time of like removing a lot of hope, putting a lot of emphasis on, on hope. And this is what feels like normalcy in a world full of chaos. When everything's on fire, we get just a, just a brief glimpse and just to what could be normal. And that's, what's really nice here in these kind of spats, but also this conversation with Frank and Bill, just having this clash of wanting one person wanting something and another person not knowing how to get there. In this, this episode was a perfect carryover from the second one with uh, Tess asking Joel to carry the torch of hope. Um, I I think it benefited well from being a good stopping point to give us a break from that heaviness. And uh, obviously this episode has a lot of weight but you know to your point there there's a lot of positivity and hope and aspirational ideas i mean frank's whole premise of wanting to beautify this abandoned town it it goes beyond cutting the grass he wants to make the shops functional again and complete as if they were uh businesses that are operational uh it's it is back to that relationship thing you know you, you tend to uh find partners that have opposing viewpoints or interests because when you work together, it sort of creates a complementary center. And, uh, you know, Frank's position of that, and, you know, they show him painting later on, and it's clear that he is 
enriching Bill's life through his viewpoint, through the way he wants to expand things out. Uh, now, that doesn't apply to Joel and Tess when they visit him for lunch. <laughs> so we then get to one of the things that Frank pushes is that he had been communicating with somebody in the quarantine zone. And he wants to invite them over for lunch as if like it's a couple date, which is slight, which is pretty ridiculous in this day and age, but also goes into a sense of normalcy, wanting that couple date, wanting to have a nice lunch and then just hanging out and talking with your friends, which is absolutely not what you do. But, you know, to again, to Frank's to Frank's side, it really does. You know, it's what keeps people like there is a little bit of what keeps people sane. Right. And when. You know, in the world of isolation, right? Like, what's that like? In a world of isolation, we find ourselves, as a, you know, we go a little stir crazy from time to time, not being able to do a lot of the normal stuff that we would normally get used to. So now there has to be a new normal or at least kind of push for a little little bits and pieces of normalcy. And in that, he fought, he, the person he's been talking to in the quarantine zone is, in fact, Tess. We find that it is Tess. And uh, Tess and Joel come to the town where uh with bill to bill and frank's town for a couple date and it's a it's a real interesting like meet and greet because it it's almost like meeting meeting a couple uh you know having a couple date with people you've met on the internet and you, you've only talked so you kind of have uh, a little bit of back and forth but it's also still like unnice to meet you you know and then of course with it being uh frank talking to tess you also still have like they go off and, and talk inside the house and you're left at a very kind of uncomfortable table of of Bill and Joel just kind of staring each other down. And it, it, it's both got both people seem like they are those don't trust anybody. I'm going to be very paranoid about you and anybody around you kind of people. Uh, Phil, did you feel like this couple date? Like, do you, do you did you feel like this couple date really went really well? Do you feel like it was kind of a funny uh like an introduction to these characters again? Well, I mean, of course we were going to see Joel and Tess again, but uh, it definitely helps uh, build that history between uh, Joel and Bill. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's something we didn't see in the game for sure. You know, you just knew that he had known him for, uh, from some previous uh, business deals. And this is basically kind of what it was going down was he, uh, Joel was approaching this as this could be a business deal. We can help him with some building materials, and then they could help him with, well, help them with uh, some things like uh, food and vegetables that they grow out in the in their town. So, you know, for uh, Tess, it was definitely trying to go out and have, you know, a nice little picnic, which it was a gorgeous day that they were out there. So it was picture perfect. So it was almost like a normal day again. But for Joel, it was like, okay, well, let's see uh, what kind of partnership we can start up and what kind of trades can be can be done here. And I mean, if you were if you remember, Joel was that guy who was dealing, you know, selling pills, selling you know scraps, selling whatever he could find, bandages, baggies, whatever. He was repurposing, reselling. He was side hustling every which way he could so far in this show. So in this case, this is like another kind of side hustle. I can get you, you know, I can get you metal that you need because your metal is going to corrode. You can give me a couple of things here and there. We can go back and forth. We can make this beneficial, if only because I don't like people. And I, but we do like to survive. And that's kind of where it hit for me was that there was that moment of uh, that paranoia, but also letting it down just a little bit, at least, if anything, to make us some sort of benef- beneficial 
relationship there. But it is kind of funny. Yeah. You do see like Bill holding a gun still at the table, and he goes, "You need to get that gun out of my face." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's still on edge. Doesn't trust, doesn't trust Joel. So, and he just to the point where he just forgets that it's there, and and Joel's like, "Please don't, don't do that." <laughs> no. Joel's just, a really smart but, sales. Know, Joel's a really smart salesman in this point, too, because, you know, Bill wants nothing to do with him. We, we got what we need here. He goes straight to the fence and says basically something like, you've got a couple months' life left on this before it is gone and you need to replace it. And he starts pinpointing all these different spots where he's seen wear and tear and potential need that he can sell a product to. In this scenario, I think Tess genuinely enjoyed their company, <laughs> but I think they were technically both there to garner business, and he's the strong hand when it comes to the, the hard negotiation, and, and she's persuading uh, Frank to build that relationship on. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going because, you know, they went there to trade and Bill was having none of it until Joel said, you know, that fence, I see all that oxidation that's going on there. That's going to fall soon. You need some new material and I can get you it. And that's where Bill's just like, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) I found it like a nice surprise, though, because he's like that when they said, Oh, I've been talking to the the quarantine zone over the radio. My first thought was, well, this is how it's going to go bad. Okay, this is how it's going to happen. Okay, this is, they changed the story, but that being Joel and Tess, uh, it's it was like a shock to me. It was like, oh, they're special guests to a show that I forgot that they were in in the first place. They just like happened to appear, and I'm like, hey, it's a crossover episode. <laughs> it's like worlds that are completely separated. Oh wait, no, they're not. They're the same world. Okay, okay, I'm on board. So we we get that, and then as uh, you you get two parts of it too, because there you like you said there is that test kind of talking to Frank. They're they're going over details about like okay if there's trouble this is where you start to get like oh we're gonna play 80s music for this 90s music for this we're gonna start trying to send each other signals back and forth and we can work together. Then you also have Joel kind of trading and bartering uh with bill and then at one point he even says he goes you need to be careful because they're going to be raiders there are raiders out there and they will come for you and bill says don't worry i got this and it, it again you get that warning and you also get a little bit of that mutual respect with each other bill and joel do not like each other but the but that's that's not what they're there for they're not trying to like anybody they're there to survive, and you see them both talking to each other in a way that they're, they're exchanging survival tips to a certain extent. Their, their job is to survive, and they're saying, like, hey, man, you, you got to be careful for this. And the other one's like, hey, man, you should be careful for this. And like, okay, good notes, good notes. We're going to all write this down, and then we're going to be better at surviving. I don't even care about you, but it doesn't matter. We should survive, period. Yeah, their relationship is totally transactional. Yeah, it's It's... If they didn't have a product to buy and sell or share information, they would not speak to each other and have anything to do with each other. Uh, you know, Joel, in, insofar as his smuggling tactics, and Bill, insofar as wanting all people to go away. Uh, and, and the funny thing is, this whole episode is just a series of showing how Bill puts up a tough exterior before he gets the slightest bit of pressure and crumbles. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the funny part of his character is that he's such a recluse and tries to keep his space from these people, but it's almost like he does it because he is concerned that he'll get close to people, you know? Yeah, and then and especially when it comes to Frank. You see 
you see a really nice scene of them like jogging. Yeah. And uh, again, he they, they, he he and he you could tell that he is like Bill is not meant for jogging. He is he is dying the whole way. He is ten fifteen feet behind Frank the entire way, but he's still trying to do it. He's trying to do it for his partner and trying to trying to get healthier a little bit. But it, it's it's just very comedic that you know he uh, he folded real hard in this plan to start getting healthy and jog. And then uh, you also see that Frank has started gardening, which is a which is kind of like you know again that that little piece of normalcy, but also like something miraculous to happen in that in the the world of a plague, and you know you're just you're scrapping and to survive, and all of a sudden oh, okay we got strawberries. That's and, it, and it's just a little heaven away from home. It's a really miraculous moment. They, it looked like they had the most delicious tasting strawberries that anyone has ever had in their lives, and that's Probably that's what they was hadn't cool. had them in years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's exactly it, Phil. This is this that that bringing back a little bit of normalcy there. You know, if they tomate Nick Offerman diggle, then I suppose they have to be pretty good strawberries. Like the, you do get a giggle. Yeah, yeah. You like the, the the level of elation they have. <laughs> you know, to Phil's point, like how many years has it been since you had strawberries? That thing probably is like candy at that point, yep. and and like a miracle that they should at least witness something being grown again. Yeah, so Absolutely. we, so that kind of puts like you're getting a lot more of a vulnerable bill here, including even like apologizing to Frank because he's getting older. You hear you hear him just like saying, "I'm only getting older, and, I, and you, I'm I'm older than you." So it is like a little bit of a, a melancholy, like you know, I they just care about each so they care about each other so much, and time is passing. Really, what it comes down to is that that's kind of like the first hint that time is passing. The, you know, as far as how the relationship goes, it's so seamless how it's filmed that you don't even notice that, like, oh, Nick Offerman's got a little bit more gray in his beard. You know, he's got a little, mm-hmm. you know, Frank's got a little bit more gray in his hair. You know, it just kind of happens slowly. And, yeah, he's got more wrinkles and he's got more facial lines. And, yeah, you know, you can see it. The, the years are adding up there. Yeah, and it's really it's really fascinating how they do that because it just happens so gradually. And like you, th- if you were to just watch it and like take away the uh, the makeup, you could say like, man, this is happening in like a week. But no, it's it's supposed <laughs> to be happening over the course of years, and it's over the long periods of time. And that's what happens in relationships. You know, you get comfortable, you try to do better for your partner, or sometimes you get into arguments. And these moments are really special, but also over the the time period because at, at one point we get. Uh, an awakening in the night where bombs kind of are going off, and that's where we get our first scene of raiders attacking the the town, and they're trying to get in. But of course, Bill's traps, where we get flamethrowers and mines, and you know, and in the video game, he does have a lot of trip wires that have cans full of uh, you know gunpowder and sharp objects that explode with sharp shrapnel everywhere. So you, you could see some of that here. Also, electrified fencing. Uh, you get all of these different traps here and there, and it's like it's it's amazing to see, but also just kind of scary because Frank is woken up in the middle of the night and just horrified about what's going on. And you go, and he rushes outside, and he sees Bill just shooting through the fence, trying to take out the raiders while they're trying to break in, and they're all on fire, and explosions are happening, and it's just chaos. That's a real alarming way to wake up, wouldn't you say so, Phil? 
Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you're sleep. One minute you're sleeping, the next minute you got somebody cooking on your front lawn. And I'm not talking about they're making food. You know, it's um, you know, he goes out there, he looks for uh, Bill, and Bill's gone. He's like, oh crap, I need to get out there and help him. And you know, that's the one thing where I think the whole survivalist uh, thing kind of broke down. Where you know, you'd figure that Bill would be behind, you know, uh, you know, a destroyed car taking cover, firing from there. But he's standing out in the wide, wide, wide open. So uh, I was like, what, what are you doing? You're going to get yourself shot. And then, of course, Frank goes out there and tries to drag him away from the wide open area. It's like, well, why did Frank have more of a survival instinct at that point than, than Bill did? But, um, <clears throat> but it helped illustrate the fact that, yeah, sometimes the most dangerous things out there aren't the zombies although i will say for the what 10 12 13 years they were together at that point um the only have been raided at least once or at least one major raid is uh that's uh not a whole lot of uh raiders out there i feel like that in this instance they are trying to i think this is another one of those times i feel like they've had to been raided before and of course this is again over the course of many years so that's my thought process is this is not the first time, but even if it is, it doesn't matter. In, in this instance, you do see like uh, you see Bill get uh, get shot and uh, Frank has to go save them. The, the rest of the compound is fine. The electric electric fences, the explosions, everything take out the raiders. But we get this moment where we're afraid we're led to believe that uh, Bill is bleeding out. He might die. There's like this scared moment. Frank's kind of trying to save him. And you get, and th this one was poignant to me because he tells him, hey, you need to call Joel. Joel will take care of you. Call Joel. Yeah, that was that respect. He did, he, like he said, he didn't like Joel, but he knew that if uh, Frank called him and, they, and he needed them, that they would be there. So they were, reluctantly for him, they were friends, probably the only friends they had. And, um, yeah, there was much respect there. It, it's almost kind of funny how... This whole episode is a series of events disproving Bill's thesis that he could survive on his own. I mean, it's just so many instances of what happens in this episode. You'd think, like, yeah, that would be when you die. <laughs> because, or, or like, in, in the case of Frank, his life just not being as fulfilling without him in it. But, you know, this is a case where Joel had warned him of this potential risk. You know, had he not known of the potential risk, maybe he wouldn't have prepared more to account for it or uh, he wouldn't have had a chance to fight them off the way they would and survive with Frank being there to actually help sort of stem the bleeding and try to get help. No, you're absolutely correct. And it, it's, it's just one of those, like you get, you get the, 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 his, his mistake, obviously his, his, his own hubris getting in the way, and it, but it was, maybe wasn't enough. And I actually think it was enough but there was no, yeah, there was absolutely no reason why he had to be in the middle of the street firing at them. But then also, again, that moment of him telling him, like, hey, you need to get Joel. He'll take care of you. For me, that all, while there was the respect for Joel, that was a really key moment. But it was also the fact that his only focus when he thought he was dying was, you need to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And that's what stuck out to me was that that kindness and love of, like, I, I still need to take care of you even though I'm dying. And that's that that you know i need to give everything for you whatever you need you need to live i don't care if i die and that's a that's just a really uh, it's a, in just a matter of like two sentences you get a lot of detail there it was really just a 
a, a punch of both, you know, selflessness, but also just a, a mutual respect for a character that we, you know, you didn't even realize he cared about. So you get a you get a you get a double punch there, and I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true love right there. It's like, look, I'm dying. We need to get you somewhere safe. Yeah, exactly. And from there we fast forward, and Bill is fine. Bill is fine. He survived. Everything was fine. It was a false alarm on him dying, it, but it was like an it was a very threatening uh, moment there. And now we get to. Uh, you see the, uh, you see a, a a very gray bill and frank frank is in a wheelchair and uh bill is kind of carting him around the you know the house helping him he's painting but it's having it's hard for him he's got, he's got tremors when he's trying to paint you know kind of moving him around the house and trying to take care of him and treating him really nice giving him his medication Really just being a doting husband, just like we saw before that moment where he would do anything to give his life for his partner. And that's kind of what we see there. It's and you see the years, you see the, the years on their face. And it's really just a it's beautiful and also just kind of like sad. It, their relationship reminded me of my grandparents and I loved it. <laughs> it really just made me feel like all sorts of ways about their relationship and growing old together in this moment and i thought it was it was beautiful Uh, you also get uh them talking about frank that his whatever he has was incurable before the plague they don't really say what it is but it was incurable before so how could it ever be cured now and that it is just this this thing that's slowly taking him now uh joel what did you think of this jump forward well One, I, I think you pretty quickly knew where this was headed, even if you hadn't played the game before. Um, you know, between the a passage of time and, and to your point, him being in a wheelchair, uh, it's at least in, inferred that they're not long for this world, or at least Frank isn't. Um, and, and you can see sort of the frustrated resignation in Frank's demeanor in the way he acts the character uh you know almost like that kind of like i know how i should be able to do this but my body's not allowing me to (laughs) it's sort of taking that agency away from him and so you know because of that it's it's not surprising that they then lead to what his conclusion is or what he decides he wants to do and really they're it doesn't feel like there is any option there. It's just that, you know, this is part of life. You know, you get older and it becomes harder and harder. Uh, Phil, what did you think about the, this this transition you get here? I mean, right up to this point, you know, they were living in a world where, half, you know, more than half the world has passed. People are packed into, um, you know, little, I don't say, you know, camps. And, you know, it's a world that's being run by a total, 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 it's a totalitarian? Military. Yes, thank you. Uh, it's basically a military government, and you know the people there are surviving, but they're not happy. And these two guys made it work in their own little paradise. They had a happily ever after, and that's I think was the biggest kind of. Uh, it was the, it was the beauty, 
and also the most uh, emotionally hard hitting because they had their paradise. They found their way to make um, a happy home in a world that's crumbling around them. And for them to, you know, for Frank to kind of conclude, hey, I'm, I'm going to go out on my own terms. <clears throat> that ends up being like the big reveal he kind of asks them after you see a lot of this time is that he ends up asking, like you said, he wants to go out on his own terms, Phil. Um, do you do you guys remember the details of the day? I have some of I have them written down, but I wonder if you guys remember what those were. They wanted to go to the clothing shop to get suits for them in order for them to get married. Um, yes, he wanted to have the same meal they had on their first night together, and then he wanted to have a glass of wine with a bag of pills ground up and tossed into it. And and, and this is where he kind of comes to that conclusion that he felt like this is like his, he is not, he is like you said, he's not long for this world, but he doesn't want to sit through and slowly die. He wants to kind of have like what they call the one final day. And in this case, he wants a one more good day. And he's, you know, he's had the best days of his life here. He's had more good days than he's ever had with anybody else here in this world. And, you know, he wants to kind of, and, you know, he wants to end things on his own terms, like you said. And in this moment, he asks for these special things. And, you know, of course, you know, Bill doesn't want to do that, doesn't want to go through with it. But he knows that his partner is set on this. And he actually tries to put up a fight, but he, he's, Frank does not let him do so. It just, this was where you get that, you would do anything for your partner, and it is gut-wrenching this was a gut punch right what would you say so phil oh yeah it was definitely an emotional moment because while while frank's telling him this is how i want my day to go you know and bill is sitting there and he's he's losing it you know he's crying because he knows that you know he doesn't want to go through with this but he has to because if this is truly his last day he's going to make it a good one and he wants to do all the things that frank wants to do so he really you know does it let you know to the letter of how he wants his last day except for the final detail at the end yeah and you go through the day with them and again bill is just is upset but he he wants to give that he wants to give his partner everything that he can you know they get dressed up as suits uh i don't think we don't see too like their we don't see like too much of their details but we get their dinner and we get the fancy plate turn which is really just like, again, you, that one killed me, that fancy little plate turn again. It's just like, oh, man, he's really and, bringing back well, those that, moments. That almost makes you think he does it every time. <laughs> you know. Which doesn't matter. It's that attention to detail. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And, yeah, he's just doing everything he can to make it special. And, and even in this time frame... Bill isn't a spry young chicken. Again, age has ravished him as well, so he is moving mighty slow. He is kind of, you know, doing what he can. And at the end, they get the final bottle of wine, and uh, he drinks, uh, they both kind of drink their glasses, and you see kind of Bill really chug his. And Frank goes, did you? Did he say? Did he ask them, or did he just automatically assume? 
I I think he, if I remember right, I think he outright said something like, "Oh God, you put pills in there already, in in the bottle." And and Bill definitely says, "I put enough in there to kill a horse." Yep. <laughs> and what he kind of realizes is that uh, what I had mentioned earlier in the episode is that he didn't feel like he had a purpose, and it wasn't until he met Frank that he had a purpose. And without Frank, he 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 felt like he had already served his purpose. So if Frank was going to end his life, he was going to end his life with him. It, it was sort of like he, he knew how to exist before, but, you know, after he found love, he felt the need to protect it, right? Because it was now the only thing that mattered to him. That was their Romeo and Juliet moment. Very much so. And and he had done it so kind of he did it before Frank could even pro, you know, protest. He had done it in a way that he just knew what he wanted, and this is what he wanted. His he his life was he had the perfect day just like Frank did, and that's where you get just tears, just tears of just this moment. And after you know even you know Frank's kind of mad at him, you know Frank actually is kind of mad at him, but then it says you know objectively this is pretty romantic he's <laughs> like i i should be furious or i should be upset yeah but yeah we're, we're already at the end of the world i know who you are screw it why not <laughs> yeah right uh, and they're happily ever after well, you know and they they go they go to bed that night and that is the end of bill and frank but we get a not an epilogue, but just kind of like, you know, the the story continues where Joel and Ellie make it to the as they're traveling, make it to the town. And they kind of they're very nervous, you know, like they're looking for Bill. Bill's not around. And they kind of go into his house really worried. And we find a letter from Bill saying which is uh, there's a couple funny moments here where he says to whoever it might be, but probably Joel. Yep. Like whoever finds this, probably Joel. <laughs> and then kind of lays out everything, say, you know, we we had lived our lives happily and we had reached a moment where, you know, that was kind of it. But, uh, you know, I respected you, Joel, and I knew that you would it would probably be you because most people wouldn't be able to uh, survive my traps. Hey, 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 and that one, you know, the um, tears are going away, and I hear that, and I just start laughing. I'm like, okay, this is that was pretty good, you know. He, and then you get like, you know, you get the 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 little bit of the story of Joel and Ellie kind of regrouping, you know, showering, packing up, get it, you know, kind of. Bill had let him use the bunker, let him get supplies, gave him access to kind of everything. Just said, don't go in our bedroom. I had opened the window. There's not going to be any smell or anything like that. We just want to be left in peace. And of course, Joel respects that in, in that way. Uh, what did you think of this, that kind of moment, this kind of follow up, Phil, what did you think of the follow up? Um, I mean, it was, I guess this was to continue Joel and Ellie's story, which is the big departure from the game. Cause when uh, Joel and Ellie reach the town and they get past the traps, uh, obviously in the game, Bill's still alive. And he, you know, <clears throat> after some bantering between Bill and Ellie, you know, he decides, okay, you know, take my truck and, you know, head out and do what you got to do. But in this case, 
you know, they deviated from the story, but they gave you something very heartfelt and very emotionally impactful. And they told a fantastic story about, um, you know, what was the term in Metal Gear? Is like uh, love can, can love bloom on the battlefield. Yeah, <laughs> bloom in the battlefield. Yeah. So this is love can bloom after the end of the world, and and it, and it did. And you know, removing that former NPC character from the direct contact doesn't change the trajectory of our main characters. So even though they deviated, they gave us something that was. You know, I mean, it was it was very impactful and it was very well done. And they can continue with the story of Joel and Ellie. So when they come there, they get the stuff they need. They, they you know they get refreshed and they move on. So their trajectory has not changed, even though we have a couple of uh, characters, or, or at least Bill, who had um, some input, uh, you know, for them in, in the game itself. But see, yeah, see that's where I that's where I disagree a little bit, Phil. Just only on the the point that, I, for my my for my under for my kind of remem- remembrance of the game, Bill was supposed to be at least into a certain degree a warning a warning sign to Ellie about what could happen if you kind of let the world break you. And in this instance. You get uh, you get more of like a you get a really like heartfelt story that is special in every single way, and and I and I will argue more impactful than what you would get in in the game. But at the but I think that Bill's purpose in the game was supposed to be a a warning, uh, like a warning of uh, you know what you what you what could like the bad things that the if the world breaks you what can happen to you and their relationship between Bill and Frank in the game is is very spiteful. They're characters that they kind of hint at, they kind of get that they're partners. They give them a little bit more backstory, but you could tell that like they actually had broken up and Frank had left Bill and then got bitten and in the end is spiteful against Bill and just kind of like you know, oh, I yeah, always wanted to live my life and you always just wanted to stay in the bunker. They never really resolved and met halfway. Yeah. And and then, and for those kind of in the know, the the you know there's always those lessons they teach you as like a teenager that you don't you don't learn until you do make those mistakes yourself, and they kind of you know with people you know I, I'm, this is not a, as much of a spoiler but it is like a hint that that's kind of what it is for Ellie. It is a it is a cautionary tale that she does not learn from. And that's kind of where it goes a little bit later on. So that's just, that, that's I think where it was kind of going for the game. But at the same time, I still think that there, there's not a lot to compare to something like this. This is just this this was just a whole wave of emotions for me in this moment. And and even then, afterwards, we get that Joel and Ellie epilogue where they're talking and kind of going through everything, and we even get like a little bit of lightheartedness where. Ellie is in the car and she's never been in a car before. So we get her touching every button on the radio. We get her like doesn't even know how to what a seatbelt is. What a seatbelt is, yep. She thinks it's a it's like a spaceship. And you get you get these little moments of again, just a little normalcy that it it's almost like Bill and Frank's story 
put a little normalcy in everybody, including uh, Ellie and Joel. And then you also get a little bit of an emotional piece of, of in the letter, Bill says that, you know, our, we were, we're people of purpose and we have jobs and we need to do everything we can to fulfill those jobs. And you get, uh, he says, my job is to protect Frank. And he says, your job is to protect Tess. And you just get a really kind of hurt Joel knowing that he did not do that and he could not do that. But you also get a little bit of an inspiration that he, he needs to protect Ellie. That is his purpose now. And he needs to be the man that Bill was. And, and he has something to aspire to. And that's really just, to me, that is a... that For what they did in the game, this is it doesn't do anything justice to what we're seeing here. Would, would you agree, Joel? Uh, I mean, there, there are two different mediums. I prefer the television rendition of Bill. My, my recollection of Bill, while you saw as a cautionary tale, I saw him as just a means to an end to move the story forward. Because in the game itself, it's basically, they get to a point, Joel says, we need supplies. I know a guy. And then you meet Bill. Bill's pissed because you've apparently done him raw a few times for some bad deals. And then you have to sort of bicker and fight with him in order to get some help from him for that car. Uh, funny interactions between him and Ellie but kind of one-dimensional. And okay. I, I feel like this show has taken something that was kind of a footnote to that game and then breathed life into that character and made it bigger than what it ever was in the game. And Absolutely. just created something incredibly tender against such a gruff, aggressive character that it, it it's not something you see so well executed on very often. I agree. Yeah, I think the, there's a lot the, to it. Yeah, didn't the showrunner said, uh, we're going to err on you know the side of following the game unless we can make something better. If we felt like we did the scene justice or we did the scene, you know, if there's something that we can do that really feels right, if it feels that it's better than the game, we're going to do that. And this is definitely one of those things that I think they succeeded on. Well, and anybody who's played the game knows that there's very little hope throughout the entire experience. I mean, it is it is a struggle game. You are meant to feel low and heavy and oppressed throughout all of it. And I don't know if people would show up to watch that TV show week after week, every week. You oh, know? right. So it, I feel like it was almost necessary for them to have a break in that a little bit and, and show some heart and show some hope in the series. I do feel like that's something that was kind of missing. And, you know, it is hard to say that because it's like you play the game, that's what it's missing. That game is really not about hope. And it does a little bit at the end, but for the most part, it is really just about the bleakness of that world. And in this case, I think that when you're in this medium, you do need to give a reason for people to want to watch it. Otherwise it is just straight depressing and it's, and they do a great job of this. And that's where you get that. Like, uh, again, I did. Yeah, I'm glad that we did touch on that character from the game, but it is just so much of an improvement here that this, there's no question that this is, this should be an award winning episode. This is just something that touched most if not everybody that kind of was engaging with this it is just this quality of a story that felt real 
in, in, in every way to me. Absolutely. So. Everybody's been praising it as a masterpiece, and I'm finding it difficult to refute that. Now we need an episode about Ishmael. So we'll wait for that. You want to talk about a character that had no context at all. All you saw were, were drawings and three letters from him in the game, and then you never heard about him again. So give me that Ishmael episode. I want to know what's going on with Ish. Now, uh, okay, so now that we're kind of coming to the end here, uh, I want to make sure that we hit everything that we needed to do. How about that ending uh, cut? The, the looked out the window. Oh, you get at the end, you get the you get a the bedroom of Bill and Frank, but they just kind of pan out to the window. And it, it's it's to me, that's like a that's a very sharp sign of respect. They didn't want people. They didn't want you to go into the bedroom. Don't disturb us. You can do whatever you want with the house. And and even the show respects their privacy in the in that in death. The show respects them. But it's also a, right. but it's also a neat nod to the game itself. So if you've ever booted up that game, the menu mm-hmm. scene is just this open window with the uh, shades drawn and the uh, trim sort of floating in the air against a little bit of drop of light, and, and it definitely evoked that a little bit to me too, with that kind of little ray of hope look it had going on. Mm, okay, I like that. So that I, th- I think kind of hits every, every most of the point that almost the entire points of that episode. Uh, Phil, what did you think overall? What was your? What do you think? Do you think this was just the, a master class in, in storytelling? It was. It was a fantastic story, and, and it went places I didn't think it was going to go. I wasn't expecting a whole episode dedicated to Bill because, like, like, uh, like Joel R. Joel, not Game Joel, <laughs> uh, or <laughs> Show Joel, um, that. Uh, you know, he uh, to me he was a plot to move the story along. You know, he was just an NPC. You know, there was some history. It built a little bit of more character for Joel himself and gave him some you know some history. But they took this character and they made you feel, you know, just how much he he really needed uh, Frank in his life. And you know, the fact is, um, you know. They made it work, and it was just a fantastic episode. And there are times where, you know, some things that go from one medium to another will choose to deviate. And what I think of most specifically was the Preacher series on AMC. And while I I, I was a huge fan of the comic, I actually really liked what they did with the TV show. They deviated quite a bit. I wouldn't say everything was for, for the better, but there are some times where, you know, you can take something that was, you know, just kind of a small piece of the whole lore and just run with it. And that's exactly what they did here. They took the, the life of Bill and they ran with it and they made you uh, really feel for him. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it was a very impactful episode. What do you think, Joel? Final words on this episode. I mean, just sort of cribbing off of what Phil just said, it it is better for it that they did not follow the same script to The Last of Us video game. I, I think the medium of video games has had this challenge for a while now of figuring out how to straddle the line between a straight retelling that'll satisfy the hardcore fans of a series while also being palatable to a more mainstream audience. Uh, 
The Last of Us has the benefit of being very cinematic in the first place and borrowing off of lots of themes of other post-apocalyptic media. Uh, But the fact that they are steeped in that medium also means that they have the agency to take liberties with it in a way that I think other game series wouldn't. And the fact that it's focused on a side character rather than one of the main characters, I think makes it a lot easier for them to justify making meaningful changes to those characters. Because if they made if they made Ellie completely different as a character or sent her off into some completely unrelated side story that doesn't involve Joel or something at some point that's unrelated to the Dames narrative too, it would kill it for everybody. But the sort of tangential satellite to the Joel and Ellie story. Yeah, that they can do it. And given how well they've paced out the story so far, I'm completely happy with them taking a whole episode on it. Absolutely. There, you know, we got a little bit of a preview of the next week's episode, and this is where we start to get a really a lot of the heavy action, a lot of the, the Raider subplots and the, the, the roving gang city stuff. And that actually kind of comes like midway to half, like, almost like a little bit later into the game. So I do find that like there, there does need to be a little bit of brevity here. There needs to be a little bit of, you know, take, take your time, you know, just let, let things breathe. And as, as we've seen in the first two episodes, they really do know how to let a moment breathe. And this episode is definitely that. And uh, that's going to be it for us uh, for our third episode of the podcast of us. The Last of Us Watch Along Show with all, with all of our Watch Along shows on the Front Row Network. We will be bringing you a new episode every week, and I hope you'll uh, keep going on with us with uh, going with us on this journey. I'm figuring out this script still. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what you think about this week's episode and all social media channels. Uh, just search for the Front Row Network on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and wherever you use social media. And for video game coverage, check us out at SuperGG Radio, SuperGGRadio.com on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Joel, where can people find you on the internet? I also do partnerships with the After the Hype Network. My wife and I are part of a podcast called Afterthoughts. It's been a book club, mostly. She's an English teacher, so she brings a more specialized understanding of it and helps me go through books that I should have read a long time ago. Um, I'm also a part of a podcast called Binge Buddies, where we go through a whole series of shows and and movies and and talk through them week by week. We are just wrapping up the Halloween series, and I'm I'm grateful for that. (laughs) uh, It's a long series. It is a long series with high highs and low lows. So uh, there are some real low lows it, in that series. It, it has been a journey, and I'm I'm glad I experienced it. There are very few. That man won't die, huh? You know, evil dies tonight. And uh, Phil, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at via Phil on Twitter and at superggradio.com. Yep, we got reviews, we got all sorts of previews and different writing and stuff like that. And again, you can find me at SuperGG Radio on all social media platforms. But for now, I'm going to say GG, everybody, and good night. The Podcast of Us is a production of the Front Row Network, the entertainment division of NPR Illinois. Our theme song is The Art of Silence by Unique. To find more from the Front Row Network, visit nprillinois.org slash programs slash front dash row dash network.